The College Game Day podcast is presented by Old Dominion Freight Line, helping the world keep promises. We got a real simple plan. One man, one mission. Georgia has won the national championship. If you're a fan, you might think this is sports heaven. This might be college football heaven. This is ESPN's College Game Day podcast. Now alongside Pete Thamel, is Reese Davis. Another weekend, another coach gets whacked. After Herm, who's next? A couple of bandwagons hit some really nasty potholes in Appalachian State. Might have the most memorable September in recent history. This is the College Game Day podcast for Monday, September 19th. I'm Reese Davis. Pete Thamel is here as well. And before we turn the page into next week, I think it is perfectly fitting if we go back and reminisce a bit about our trip to Boone. I'd never been to Appalachian State before, Pete. It was everything they built it to be, from the quaintness of the town to the rabid fan base to, to the food to the promise of the fans camping out the night before. I signed a dude's forehead. Actually, I signed (laughs) one dude's forehead and one dude's cheek. The upper one, thankfully, I would have declined an offer for for a lower cheek. It it was a a great scene, and they almost messed it up by blowing the game. And then they win the thing on a Hail Mary. So if you're keeping score at home, they've got a 40-point fourth quarter and a near miss on a two-point conversion that would have won the game against Carolina. They have a win on the road in one of the most hostile environments in the sport against the number six team in the country. And just for good measure, let's win the first conference game after college game day on an improbable Hail Mary, as if any Hail Mary is probable. That one was particularly improbable, given what they had done leading up to it. So it it was a remarkable weekend and a remarkable Saturday at App State. So I'm going to start on the field, and then we can go off the field. Uh, So... I left App State, of course, because when like a once a decade finish happens and you're on the field in pregame, what what great journalism instincts did I have? I drove to Wake Forest and saw a great game. They they uh, the Liberty had a two point conversion with about a minute to go to win it that failed. So I was certainly not disappointed in my trip to Wake, but I was watching App State and Troy in the press box and really like regretting all, all journalism instincts that I that took me uh, that took me ninety miles away from what remains the biggest story of the day after uh, after game day shut down there. Uh, the play that App State ran is known as Big Ben, and uh, it a little bit is the football version, Reese, of the Valpo play where they won it, where you throw the Hail Mary inside and then kick it out to, like, the streak. Mm-hmm. It's, now, again, it's different than that, right? Mm-hmm. But the point was they had a receiver go up and tip it, and then the, the 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 receiver who caught it ended up. I mean, he was like untouched. Like he didn't right. have to go through yeah. it. Like, he sprinted to the end zone. And there's you can see on some of the replays, the Troy athletic director Brent Jones screaming no, yeah. like in a frozen <laughs> shot there as he just watched like what could have been for John Summerall, who, who brought his team there and did a heck of a job. Uh, you know, going for. 59 minutes and 58 seconds and they really played well. Um you could just see all that all that slipping away. But uh Kevin Barbet the, the I'm sorry, the OC uh was at Florida 5 years ago they ran a version of Big Ben where Florida walked off against Tennessee if you remember the Felipe Franks mm-hmm. to uh Tyree Cleveland. That was Big Ben in. So I have a feeling old Big Ben will be remembered on t-shirts around Boone, murals, they might even make an IPA. Uh, that the the radio guys in a great call called the Miracle on the Mountain Part Two. Yeah, I think yeah, they they, yeah. they dubbed it. So anyway, it was a uh, it was a remarkable finish. God bless college football in the chaos it ensues, and it was I think the the perfect cap. I, I'm surprised. I texted some folks at App State. I was like, I hope the town is still standing on Saturday <laughs> night. I, I had a North Carolina friend, an ardent North Carolina fan who is very familiar with Boone, who said, you know, they call it the High Country. He said after that game, it might be the Flatlands, but it might just absolutely level the place. Big Ben, do you know the origin of the name of that? Because I don't. I'll tell you when I first remember it. Steve Bartkowski and the Falcons uh, beat the Saints on a Hail Mary that they called Big Ben. That's the first time it came into my consciousness way back when, because I was a Saints fan and despised 
that. And there were also some blocked punts against Russell Erksleben, who was some, for some reason, the Saints drafted a punter in the first round one year. If, if you start anyway, talking about that Jacksonville state quarterback, I'm going to get off the pod. <laughs> no, you're not. Hey, look, man, I'm just saying you're the one who brought it. You're like, you're, you're no, see, you brought this up. You brought it up because you said, you said it's called big Ben as if this is like some new terminology. This is like old well, school. I was just wondering if you knew yeah. I, so, and I don't. I'm asking our listeners I, where, no. who first called the Hail Mary play Big Ben. I don't know who called the Big Ben, but it has been borrowed through time because Barbe was at Florida with McIlwain mm-hmm. when they ran it against Tennessee. And look, every football play is stolen. There are no new football players, right? right? right. They're evolved exactly. and everything. So um, usually they change names because it's like, you know, it was somebody named Ben. But I, I think it's Big Ben because you need a tip guy. I'm guessing. Yeah. But yeah. Big Ben is obviously a giant edifice. And you needed someone to go up and be big. And if they can't catch it in the end zone and that ball got tipped about the five yard line, right? Like you need somebody to keep it alive to give somebody some room to run. So I don't recall your big Ben, but I would assume there was a tip involved. Yeah. It kind of knocked up and they caught it and that it was, it was heartbreaking anyway. The the um, Cal one, by the way, if we're going to go down a Hail Mary rabbit hole, I mean, yeah, yeah, I did a lot of shrieking in the Wake Forest press box. So I apologize for that. Cause like, you know, you're watching the game on your laptop. It's very quiet in press box. That's something people don't realize. And it's like, ah, like that, that hit four players. Yeah. You know how hard it is for a Hail Mary to hit four players and that poor Cal receiver laying on the ground. I mean, there was a shot of him looking, you know, desolate after the game. You just you feel for him, obviously. But he, he was on the ground. The ball in the end zone was in his two hands, not just yeah. one. It was in two of his hands. And whew, Marcus Freeman, man, he. I hope he enjoyed a uh, long neck ice cold beer uh, on Saturday night because he earned it the way that game ended. Uh, I would suggest that perhaps more fitting for Marcus uh, after you know, from what I understand, based on the pictures on the internet. Um, you know, there was a receiving into the Catholic Church. I'm Protestant, not Catholic, so I don't know all the uh, machinations there. But maybe a trip to the grotto would have been yeah. more in order. A, th- a yes. thankful candle being, yes. because not only, they had won the game earlier, and then Cal got another chance because of a, a targeting call. Yeah. And, you know, then and then there was a whole thing with the spread, you know, where it looked like yeah. maybe Notre Dame had returned and, and scored a touchdown to cover. So uh, that was... That was wild. Before we uh, before we leave Appalachian State, you promised pre podcast a story about your new best friend Luke Combs as the two of you were chummily backstage awaiting Luke's appearance as a celebrity guest speaker. So I didn't bother Luke Combs and I didn't introduce myself. Uh, and again, he couldn't have been nicer. He took pictures with everybody in our crew who was back up in our office at App. It, you know the 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 PR folks, social media folks, hair and makeup folks. He was. He was is if you're a Luke Combs fan listening to this, he was as affable and kind as you would you would hope he is. Um, And he was genuinely giddy to be there. I certainly don't have the guest picker uh, repertory that you do, but I thought he was as good of as one I've ever seen. Um, Just, you know, detailed knowledge app by a million like he was. uh, But he knew the sport. And mm-hmm. some of our guest pickers may struggle to like know the uh, know the sport. Cough, cough, Jack Harlow. Uh, <laughs> you know, he didn't say dated a girl in Cincinnati. Let's put it that way. So again, Jack Harlow was great. Was great for us. But like Luke Combs, like you could tell, like he was he was prepped and ready, and not in a way like he like read it off a sheet. You know what I mean? Like he he, he was built for that. So I go back from I had to hit somewhere around ten thirty, and I go back to the office try to like make a few more phone calls and and whatever, and I go to the restroom. And in the restroom, Luke Combs is changing and he's talking to a, a security guard, like an app state cop. And I don't like, so yeah, I'm in the bathroom, minding my own business. I, I like, don't know it's Luke Combs, right? Like I just, yeah, I'm not thinking, you know, when you're doing a show and you're as bad on TV as I am and as nervous as I am generally, like, you're not like, you're not like cognizant of the environment. You're just sort of like minding your own business. And he starts talking and he's like, yeah, I had a show in Wisconsin last night. And I was like, oh, wait a minute. And I'm just minding, minding my own business. And he very genuinely, like it wasn't an act. And it literally, like he's changing at the mirror and the cop is in the, you know, in one of the stalls. And he's like, man, I, if I didn't have a show tonight, I would be out there drinking with all them. <laughs> like, <laughs> <laughs> and it, that, it, like, there was just, there was, he, he came off as like very genuine and very proud of, uh, proud of having, having gone to app and a very proud app guy. And I just like, I will just remember that being like, yeah, this guy's sitting here having to go fly back private and do a show. And just all he wants to do is go in that sea of humanity. Now, did you see 
the Instagram story Jeff Sims put up of Luke Combs chugging a beer? I did not see that. Okay, I'm it's, sorry, I didn't. Yeah, I, I wonder if it's expired off her stories yet. It will be probably by the time people get the podcast. Let's just say him chugging a beer it was not the first one he'd chug. Like there was a, there was a professionalism to it. That was, that was pretty daunting. And Jess's face, uh, Lindsay, who, who does uh, Jess's hair and makeup took the, took the video. And after Luke Combs chugs a beer, it is like, he's like holding up, like not a drop got on his chin. Right. It was, uh, it was, it was an impressive professional job. Jess Sims's face was like, Oh my God. <laughs> Did he just do that? Now this is now mind you, Walking out, some random fan hands him uh, hands him a Coors Light. Game day people may have been very happy it was branded properly. Absolutely, and he's, just, walk, he's yeah. just walking to the walking to the set, and some you know guys, App State students, are like, hey Luke, come chug a beer. And like it was. I'm trying to think of like the sporting equivalent. It was like as natural as Steph Curry shooting a three in warmups. <laughs> <laughs> just uh, there was an ease to it and a flow to it. So I uh, I admit my Northeast roots. I'm not a, like a huge country guy, but I I just I just that whole Luke Combs experience watching him interact. He may have uh, taken a taken a little Yeti and uh, had himself a little whiskey drink before he went on the show to uh, to calm his nerves. I was like, this guy's a real guy, man. I, I was I was. Super impressed, and that's one of the neat parts of game day is you get a little peek behind the curtain at uh, at some of these folks. But Luke Combs, man, he was uh, he he was he was aces in 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 every way possible. Yeah, it, absolutely, he was a great guest picker. There's a there the art to that to me is the people who can who know the sport but can also have the Jack Harlow I dated a girl in Cincinnati moment, which at the end of the day is as good a way as any to try sure. to pick winners in in college football games. Yeah. Finding probably the be better than us thinking about yeah, it. Yeah, no, <laughs> considering no doubt. Our records. Yeah. yeah, Luke Luke did a tremendous job with that. And the thing that that I loved afterwards because I always push when we get these guys on. If we can get them to perform, that would be sensational. Now, logistically, yeah. it wasn't possible um, this week with Luke Combs, but after the show, they're chanting at him, "Sing a song, sing a song," and he looked at me and he said, "If I had a way to do it, I would." And I said, if you come back, would you do it? He goes, for sure. And I mean, just a really good dude, new ball, loves Appalachian State. And I think the other thing that's underrated, uh, Desmond and I went to the chancellor's house for a little reception on Mm -hmm. Friday night. I was informed there that another great friend of the show and a a top-notch guest picker, Eric Church, Mm -hmm. is not as... uh, not as revered there anymore because he committed the cardinal sin of doing a promo for North Carolina basketball, an in-stadium promo, and it, something like Let's Go Heels or whatever, and they played it when Appalachian State was in the Dean Dome. So this Ooh. caused some Appalachian State people to not be as happy with Eric, who, by the way, is a wonderful guy, too, terrific guy, and a good guest picker. And in some ways, according to the people that we visited with, that – Luke Combs elevates his own status enough, but this elevated him even higher in the, in the eyes of Mountaineer nation, because there's no, you know, there's no ambiguity about where Luke stands on his fan allegiance. Weekend review is brought to you by Eckridge smoked sausage. Find them in the refrigerated meat aisle at your favorite grocery store to create a one of a kind sausage recipe. Many sausage recipes. In fact, Eckridge, you do you. It's only a kick, a jump, a block, it's only a serve, it's only a tackle, a run, it's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot. Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. Pete, one more thing about the show. I've, I've started my review process, which I've shared on the podcast a few times that I go through everything and look at it. When we had the wrong, we had Sean Clark's audio up 
there happens. We have a million mics going on and I ask you a question and your mic's not working. Your response, man, you're getting more and more comfortable. <laughs> you're doing great out there. It was funny. You had a great one liner. That's um, that, that's, I think that shows that shows that you make fun of yourself about well, there's the a, there's a lot of material there. So, oh, well, but, but you're, but you're, you're, you're a smart dude. You obviously know your stuff inside out. The tweets are amazing that pop up on the show, but the response there and the, the comfort and the no panic, you know, I mean, one of the things I try to do on the show is that if the lights fall off the grid above me and crash down right in front of me, while I'm doing it on camera, I want to take my arm, push it to the side and say, we're going to get that cleaned up for you. Meanwhile, BYU's got a huge game in your team today. And, and you did, you did that. You did it with some humor and good grace. And we, we had some fun with the, with the uh, potential ankle damage that you had leaping off the air force bandwagon. By the way, I had to hop off the, I just gotten a seat on the BYU bandwagon and I had yeah. to disembark quickly you could left by halftime. <laughs> yeah. Man, that was that was a bit, but good on you. Really, really well done yeah. to handle to handle that. So no, thank you. I appreciate it. I was probably too nervous to think. So that's usually when the best things happen, right? <laughs> <laughs> no, it's fun. It's uh, it's been fun just sort of getting in a little rhythm of the show now that we're kind of in a weekly. Uh, we're a little bit of weekly thing. I kind of know what to expect every day. And it's really just being prepared uh, for, for everything really helps when the un- good things you can't prepare for happen. I want to talk a little bit about who was most impressive over the weekend. Mm-hmm. Um, and there are a lot of candidates there. But before that, one of the things people like to hear, coaching changes. And I think there's some things that tie together there. Impressive performances and unimpressive ones, some that could have put some coaches in danger. But it has come to my attention, Pete, that we have in our midst uh, the Grim Reaper. We have in our midst on this podcast the black cloud, the proverbial black cloud, an unexpected one, as it were. For those people of a certain age who might have liked mindless cartoons, if you remember, I think it was the new Flintstones where they had this uh, bad luck Schleprock character, and he would go around, wellsy, wellsy, woo, woo, and something awful would befall the people who were in the vicinity of bad luck Schleprock. And with that, I introduce to you one of our fine producers, typically a ray of sunshine, but in this case, a little bad luck schlep rock quality. I present to you Sarah, the coaching Grim Reaper, Nebraska <laughs> fan, Arizona State alum. She's two for two in getting her coaches whacked over the last two weekends. Sarah, what do you have to say for yourself? I am so sorry. It's been a tough <laughs> week. <laughs> Yeah, Are you getting got- an MBA at Georgia Tech? <laughs> yeah, no, no relation anywhere else. Yeah, I got my master's from ASU and then I'm from Nebraska. So apparently I'm just the Grim Reaper of coaches. Hey, hey, Pete mentioned Georgia Tech. Have you considered Auburn? Yes. <laughs> Any postgraduate studies, well. online I'll classes. My, <laughs> yeah, I'll go get my PhD real quick. <laughs> oh, we everyone out. We laugh, you know, Sarah, I, I kid, I, I kid because we don't. You're, you're one of the nicest people in the, in the world. But Grammy has become a. We're gonna have to have Grammy on the podcast. Yeah, Sarah's grandmother, who's an ardent yeah. Nebraska fan, and typically in in Scott Frost's tenure at Nebraska. What would have happened in the Oklahoma game is that they would have played, they would have been ahead, they would have been ahead, and then they would have had a punt, hit the up back in the butt, and bounce back for an Oklahoma touchdown. Uh, you know, there would have been some type of bad call that would have gone against them, and Nebraska would have lost by four. Instead, they lost by 10,000. But, but Grammy has this in perspective, Sarah. What was the line that Grammy delivered to you as Dylan Gabriel and the Sooners were wreaking havoc on the big red thrashing machine Saturday. She said, and I quote, it's okay. We're just defrosting. <laughs> ah! That's good. I know she's, she's punny, man. She is with it. That would be she a said, great like newspaper headline. <laughs> yeah. She's like in those, the, the Lincoln star, like defrosted. <laughs> uh, no, wouldn't, wouldn't it have been? That's a good yeah. headline. Wow. But Sarah's she's other get her on Twitter. Yeah, Sarah's other <laughs> alma mater, the Herm Edwards experiment, 
And Herm is a great guy. Everybody knows that who's worked with him at ESPN, but it, it just never really worked. Um, it was okay at times, but they've got the cloud of the NCAA investigation. And then the loss to Eastern Michigan, uh, what, you know, what has to be done eventually should be done immediately to quote uh, Jeremy Foley, the old Florida athletic director from back in the day. Can't really blame them. The athletic director at Arizona state, you know, is Herm's former agent. It just never seemed like, um, never seemed like the right fit. And it seems like a little, probably a little overdue in making the move. And it gives Arizona state an opportunity to start the process as Nebraska has of formalizing their, their search for their next coach. Yeah, it's interesting that in the, in the framing of all this, so I, the thing I'm most curious about, I guess, going forward, Reese, is what the finances look like on this. Uh, Herm was owed a, a pretty healthy chunk of uh, pretty healthy chunk of money, and when you uh, when when you look at how this is going to work going forward, you you wonder how much basically Ray Anderson is going to take care of his guy in this, you know, like they, they obviously mutually agreed to part ways, which means there'll be some type of, I assume mutual separation agreement. The thought had been, they were going to wait for the notice of allegations to come. And then they could have just fired him for cause or could have stepped down because cause was coming. There is zero people at Arizona state on staff, former staff or at the NCA who think this investigation is just going to sort of blow away. Now with the changing paradigms of the punishment structure, Nobody knows exactly how much they're going to be punished, but the cheating was so obvious and blatant, and they have so many people who put together that dossier that were willing to blow the whistle, that it is going to be a big, significant case. And Arizona State was totally unaffected by that. And what they were affected by was losing to Eastern Michigan, which gives you a little peek into their soul. I believe Arizona State is the second most penalized by the NCAA program uh, athletic department in, in college athletics, I believe by, by behind SMU um, and maybe the most in the power five. And so right now that gives you a little window into how their athletic department views it. All right. You could cheat like a bandit, get caught, have half your staff dime out the coach, be amid a huge NCAA investigation that the coach calls a review, but then, Oh, we lost Eastern Michigan. Whoa. Can't have that. So it is, it is, it, look, this is the college athletics machine that has, uh, that has arrived and, and been created and, and, and it's where we are. Um, but it's been interesting to see that Michael Crow, the president of Arizona State, had some comments after that Eastern Michigan game to one of the local reporters that sort of gave a little window into this was time. And Ray Anderson, who made like, do you remember the day Herm Edwards was hired? Mm -hmm. Like, on a list of like shocking hires, how high mm -hmm. up was that for you? Uh, I didn't see it coming at all. I mean, it was like completely off the radar. Yeah. It was one of those, like, I almost believed it because like nobody would have made it up mm -hmm. if that, if that makes sense. So, and this is obviously, you know, Ray Anderson having faith in Herm Edwards, who has, you know, great track record. They're, the actual coaching part of Herm Edwards' tenure wasn't bad. Like they beat a majority until Saturday. They beat a majority of the teams they should have. They kind of played like a conservative NFL style. Yeah. Um, they had, you know, they had actually some really good coordinators. Uh, Tony White, who's doing a great job at Syracuse, was uh, was there for a little while as an assistant. That three three five has really jump started that program and, and helped them start three and zero. Danny Gonzalez uh, from mm -hmm. San Diego State was the DC. He's the head coach at New Mexico, trying to turn that thing around. But like Herm, you know, Herm was like a professional as a coach in mm -hmm. in, in, a, in a lot of ways, and that's why I think like the coaching part was good. So that's why it was probably better than maybe some people thought it would be a disaster, but. Um, ultimately he lent too much power to Antonio Pierce. Pierce sort of sort of started running off the assistant coaches who wouldn't cheat. And that's where all the, all the tension started. And that's where Herm failed as a coach. Because, it, it, yeah. I just want to say, let me yeah. ask you this because it's my perception because, and a lot of this is the personal regard that I have for Herm and his mm. standards and his character. Sure. My perception of this, this is, does, does not absolve him of any blame whatsoever. He's the head coach. And I don't want to say behind his back, but he was sort of, he wasn't engaged in what the rules were supposed to be and wasn't really on top of it. Is that fair? Or is it from your journalistic and investigative reporter skills? Was it more than that? And that he looked and said, this is what everyone else is doing. It's not going to be a big deal because 
There are a lot of other Pac-12 schools that are doing this during, uh, you know, during the uh, COVID restriction time. So it's not a big deal. Which was it from the best of what you've been able to ascertain? So from viewing the dossier that was sent to the NCAA and from my reporting, he wasn't leading the charge on the cheating, but he had knowledge of it and participated in it directly. He met okay. with players in his office when recruits couldn't be on campus. There's a picture of him in the weight room with a really highly regarded recruit from uh, from from one state over who went to a big time school. And like so there was no like, oh, I had my head in the sand and I didn't know. And it really wasn't even like do what you want to. I don't want to know. He mm-hmm. was involved and engaged at the moments he had to be. He wasn't leading the charge, but he was a participant. Okay. And that will come out in the NCA investigation um, in, into all this. But the thing about Herm is he stuck around for a while, made $4 million more bucks. Um, so his buyout, if they just tried to fire him, would have been, they owed him $8 million uh, to, to fire him. Now, they are not going to pay him $8 million. Like, I just don't think that's going to, I don't think that's going to happen. I had somebody in Arizona tell me last night, like the financial resolution of this is to be determined, which is probably smart. And they'll get foia in two years when, you know, and, and, and it'll be, it'll be revealed, but it's uh, it, it has been an embarrassing stretch that the people I feel the worst for are Arizona state fans, right? Cause you could just feel this program just absolutely being gutted piece by piece, transfer by transfer coach who left by coach who left, uh, you know, like, Zach Hill from Boise was a good offensive coordinator. He he got he got run out. They they hired all these young gun assistants to you know to go follow in line with what Pierce wanted. Their careers took drastic turns in that. And meanwhile, if you're a Sun Devil fan and you want to show up and cheer on your team, you lose Jaden Daniels. You lose players to Florida State. Johnny Wilson, he's pretty mm-hmm. good, right? He had a good um, night Friday night. He had a good Friday night. Talented guy, four star from Southern California. You can see why. I mean, six seven. That catch in the back of the end zone was unbelievable. Um, you you know you lost uh, one of your best linebackers to USC. You lost uh, another receiver. At it was it was a just a, a it has to hurt as a fan to watch all of your best players just conga line out of your program. So you knew whether you could say they were going to lose to Eastern Michigan or not, you don't know, but you knew this was coming. There was going Mm -hmm. to, you can't lose seven of your 10 best players. And that's sort of ballparking. Right. And their best D lineman went to Louisville. You don't have like the all conference level D tackles just rolling in in, in, in any place that's not named you know, USC or Utah in the Pac-12. So you could feel this coming. So it just has to be a bad feeling. Like when you're a fan showing up for the season where your coach is going to get fired and the on-field results sort of match your worst fears. So I have a lot of empathy. It is, we'll talk about it more as we go on. It is, it is a sleeping giant and it's asleep for a reason. Um, And it's because of bad leadership there. And it will be interesting to see how from the president's level down, they attempt to 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 wake that up because there's a reason why if you're if you've been asleep for a few decades, there's usually a reason why you're asleep. They've been a sleeping giant pretty much forever. Uh, they're one of the programs that can't get it right. The conference issue, I think, is significant for them going forward in terms Huge. of whether they're ever going to become this giant. I think there's a little bit of a misconception about how attractive it is. My old buddy Mark May, whose jersey you can see right up there, uh, has made his home in Arizona for years, and he has for years said, why wouldn't everybody want to go to Arizona State and play? And I know it's attractive, and I know it could be good, but a lot of people don't want to go that far away from home when they don't know what they're getting. When you go across the country to Ohio State or Alabama or even Clemson, you know what you're getting. If you travel from all over or go where it's not easy for your family to see you play or something, you don't know what you're getting at Arizona State. So it's going to take a little while. It's going to take the proper leadership, as you mentioned, and it's going to take the right coach who wants to stay there. So who is that guy? Who, who, is, the, who is the best fit among or a list of guys among your fit who could do that at Arizona State, depending on what the sanctions might be, if there are indeed hefty sanctions other than you know, just being fined or something? Yeah. Well, the sanction thing is like a whole other conversation because yeah. that as this college basketball thing is unfolded and we just passed the five year anniversary of it on September 17th, which is mind bending considering yeah. there's 
by about four teams that haven't. I don't even think one of the teams has got their notice validations yet. So anyway, like like the NCAA process moves slow, and they've 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 changed the goalposts on what punishments can be. That may work in Arizona. It's a good time to be a cheater, basically, because mm-hmm. um, they keep they keep moving the goalposts on what the rules are and what what can happen. So. Names for Arizona State, and that will be parsed a lot by the by the coaches and by their representatives. Quite frankly, as they as they try to figure out what what would happen. But a, a similar case to keep in mind is like the Tennessee case, if you will. Now, I don't think they're going to have ten or whatever it was uh, level ones there, but like it was just as blatant, and they did it for just as long. And, and since they caught them so bad, don't be surprised if the NCA wants to, the NCA, which enforcement has had a bad run, they may be a little bit performative about how they handle it, like they were in Tennessee. So. That said, uh, I put out a list last night. I won't read all 12 names, um, but I do think one really interesting name that got a lot of buzz in your neck of the woods, uh, Reese, is Brian Harson, um, an accomplished West Coast coach who needs an exit strategy. It's not working. There's no AD. Like, it just – that makes way too much sense to me. Um, put him back in his wheelhouse. Put him in place he's comfortable. He's not a bad coach. Mm-hmm. Because Auburn tried to subvert him and uh, and, and and run him out. So that to me is the most intriguing. I have Kalani Sataki. Do they take a run at Jonathan Smith, who has proven to be one of the best coaches on the West Coast the past five years? In the look, they need a slow, methodical build back. And Jonathan Smith has done that through evaluation, through quarterback development. He's done an elite job. I think Tom Herman's a really interesting name there. I think you can, you know, he's a proven quarterback tutor from Ohio State, Houston. You in in he had Texas as a top twenty five team consistently, so uh, I think there would be some fit there, and I think he would be a little bit of an energy jolt. And quite frankly, that program needs to be modernized. Herm was not the best, you know, college coach to modernize the program. It needs to be shaken up and pushed forward. He really did that at Houston. I'm sure you remember that race uh, mm-hmm. during his time there. He helped pull them to the point where they were building and getting ready for the Big Twelve. He woke up every day trying to trying to do that. Um, hard to ignore Troy Calhoun, even though the wheels of our bandwagon fell off in uh, in Laramie on Friday they're night. Still good. Uh, they're still a good team. Uh, oh yeah, I they'll win, they're they're win real, ten games. Yeah, they're still going to yeah. win ten. Yeah, yeah, and and they're not doing it with better players than most of the people they play, which is the mm-hmm. sign of a great coach. Uh, Charles Huff is a guy at the moment, uh, even though they lost in overtime at Bowling Green on Saturday. Certainly, he's uh, you know he's he's someone who who who, who is going to be on radars for mm-hmm. for some of these jobs that open, and then. I have Matt Enns from North Dakota State. I don't think you can ignore that tree with the success Chris Kleiman's having right now in, in the Midwest. Uh, I like Sean Lewis at Kent State. I just think he's done a good job there. He's defied history. That's hard to do. He would bring a very defined style. You can say, hey, come play in the desert and play fast, and there's enough skill and quarterback talent out there. Then I have Bill O'Brien, Todd Munkin, uh, Derek Mason, who's at Oklahoma State now, and then Alex mm-hmm. Grinch. As the, as, if you are good at USC, the coordinator is going to get hired somewhere. Grinch has had Power 5 opportunities that he's turned down before. So anyway, I think that, that list, and they probably don't get past some of the early part of it. Uh, mm-hmm. Who would you hire, Reese? I'd probably hire Harson because I think he's a really good coach who is not so good that he transcends fit. And there are very few of those guys. There are probably mm-hmm. you know, three, three, four, five guys, if that many, who transcend fit can win anywhere. Brian can't do that at Auburn. Maybe another SEC school he could have, but I mean, it's that's not a good football team right now. We said before the season, or I did anyway, this was ending this year one way or the other. Either Auburn had a really good year and he took another job or they would run him off. This could be the best of both worlds and you'd be getting a guy who's, you know, like, in his 10th year as a head coach, he's like 82 and 31. He knows, he knows the West Coast. Uh, I think that it would be, I think that would probably be the guy I would look at first because you would have, you would have some experience and some stability. And much like I talked about the difficulty for the recruits there, not knowing what you're getting. If you went to Arizona State, to some degree, Arizona State would know what it's getting in Brian Harson. So the other guys you mentioned on that list, there's some terrific names there, but that's probably where, where I would go first because I would need someone who stability and certainly by his time at Auburn, he's been, been through some stuff. And not only that, he's been a coordinator at Texas, short period of time. But, but if you're a coordinator at Texas and spend a short period of time at Auburn, you ought to be able to weather some storms. And so I think that that's a, that's a guy who I would probably probably go to first, and that would be the best case 
scenario for everybody. Georgia Tech's going to be next up on this list, right? I mean, in terms of yes. coaching change. Yes, and I think the the question looming over Georgia Tech now is, how do you unwind it? It's not if, it's when. I would expect uh, Todd Stansbury, the athletic director, sometime you know before Columbus Day to be given his walking papers, and that would give that university, which has a new president who came from George Mason and is aggressive, the time to reinstall a new AD who can then make the hire to align with the with the new coach. So uh, that was a dark night for Georgia Tech football. I believe they got their third punt blocked of the uh, of the season. It's just not uh, an engaged outfit right now. Look, that's a hard job, and I'm sure we'll dive into that very soon, deeper on uh, on on a, on a podcast. But the, the change is needed. Change is obvious, and there will be an athletic director coach change. You know, imminently, uh, I would say uh, I took to an AD on on Sunday, brought up an interesting point. Uh, he said he hates it to where firing coaches early has become a strategic advantage. Mm-hmm. But guess what? Firing your coach early has become a strategic advantage. So and quite frankly, Brian Harson probably is going is, is, is going to get probably get exited quick enough at Auburn. I, and this is, you know, there's games to play and this is a bit of a guess. But the the, the results on Saturday made a bad situation worse where he could get hired early enough mm-hmm. at Arizona state to where you could do what Clay Helton did what Joey McGuire did what Jim Moore did and get a month jump on your new job. Um, Tom Herman obviously gives him that, uh, gives him that asset. I saw Dan Mullen's name floated around. I don't know Mullen's desires right now to, to, to jump back in. He's obviously doing a great job as an analyst for, uh, for us at ESPN. Uh, and he's a good name. I mean, you can't argue with the results over, mm-hmm. you know, over the span, especially sort of lifting Mississippi state from the dredges. Um, uh, but, uh, you, we are going to, uh, my, my wife likes to joke, people get fired on Sundays because it's usually like when we spend a little family time together and uh, it can be disrupted by phone calls. But we're going to have a few more Black Sundays, uh, I think, before Columbus Day. Is, is your son, do you think your son's first words will be fired? <laughs> <laughs> Dad, who got whacked? Who's about I, to get I, whacked, Dad? I, I, I hope not. I hope it's mom. Uh, that would be deserved. <laughs> and we did just buy on uh, Amazon a bunch of, like, stuffed balls. Now, Teddy Thamel's seven months old. Profiles as a nose tackle right now. We'll, we'll see if he <laughs> if he sticks that. And he's very good at taking the balls and trying to eat them uh, and shoving them in his mouth. He's so proficient. But he likes to throw them off his uh, high chair and watch them bounce. And then I go pick them up and put them back in. And then he throws them off again and watches them bounce away. So, um, yes, he does have a little, like, faux cell phone. So uh, Kate sent me a very cute picture on Saturday. She was like, Teddy's getting some scoops uh, <laughs> <laughs> on, uh, on Saturday morning. I t- told him to watch his back. So. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo Concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. So much about a coaching change, I think, for athletic. The one caveat I would offer with Harston is it's going so sideways and and the whole coup attempt last year at Auburn, uh, silly as it might have been and as uh, vacuous as it might have been, still creates a perception among your fan base. The only thing I would worry about with Harston from that standpoint is not so much about doing the job, but about winning the press conference. These guys... So many of them, university presidents, athletic directors, many of them are caught up in that. They, they get almost debilitated by what will the reaction on social media be? What will our you know, donors say about this or that? Uh, sometimes, sometimes that stops hires that appear to be imminent. There's you know, one pretty mm-hmm. high profile one in the last couple of years that was going to happen and didn't because of that reason. 
That said, not that this was like that, but I don't know that even with his success at Sioux Falls that everybody knew who Kalen DeBoer was, but they're going to know soon. They're going to know soon after what Washington did on the subject of sleeping giants who've been a little – who've hit the snooze button on and off for the last several years for sure. Um, they, they took a part old Sparty Saturday night, and that was, a, that was a really impressive performance. Shows the power of getting the right coach. I know it's early in the season. It's one game. I get that. But you get a, a coach with a plan. You use the transfer portal to get a veteran quarterback, and you can kind of get it going, maybe not to the level of going to the playoff or anything like that, but you can kind of build some positive momentum quickly. If you do those two things well, and the early returns suggest that Washington has done just that. Yeah. Uh, look, we've said this on, on the podcast before. Kellen DeBoer has won at every one stoplight town, every NAIA school, every Division II school that he's stopped at. And at, at a certain point, you can't cast that as coincidence. I, I believe this in college football. I also believe in college basketball. If you can figure out a way to win at lower levels, you can figure out a way to win at higher levels. I, and I think Lance Leipold is another example of that I'm sure we're going to talk about them a little bit later today. Uh, Michael Penix healthy with Kalen DeBoer as coordinator is a lethal combination. And they took Indiana football to, you know, unbelievable heights uh, back in, I believe that was 2020, that COVID year when Indiana had that run and they beat Michigan. And Penix is a Penix is a real deal guy. He had profiled as an NFL prospect, and he had just gotten dinged up, and and the system didn't uh, didn't didn't sync up with him. So, look, look, what DeBoer has done is unbelievable. But I think what we're learning about Washington was there was actually a bunch of talent there with Jimmy Lake, and it just for one reason or another wasn't maximized. Uh, Michigan State, who had pushed some people around last year, didn't push anybody around. And uh, you look at. Uh, Jalen Berger had 27 yards rushing on 13 carries. Broussard had three yards rushing on four carries. Uh, Washington won in the trenches. Somewhere Steve Entman was smiling on Saturday night in uh, in suburban Seattle because they were just on both sides of the ball. They simply pushed them around. And uh, and that's, that's a credit to reestablishing the culture. I give William Inge, the defensive coordinator at Washington, who came from Fresno with, uh, with DeBoer, a lot of credit for just completely emasculating that Michigan State offense. Remember, they scored 14 in the fourth, too. Like that, you look at 39-28, and you're like, oh, yeah. nope, that was not a game. It was no. simply – it was simply not a game. And, uh, yeah, like all of a sudden we, we need to like reframe the conversation around Washington as, as someone who, who should be able to compete for the PAC 12 title. Uh, they have Stanford at UCLA at Arizona state, Arizona at home at Cal. So they will be favored in all of those games. Um, and there's, there's, no USC on their schedule. They have a trip to Austin, which right now I, I'm feeling like could have some of those old Washington, Oregon vibes of two mm-hmm. teams, maybe in the top 15, you know, playing for high stakes in the North and in a spot in that title game and in a good, healthy functioning Washington is good for college football. There's a lot of talent in Seattle. It's a great place to go to college. Uh, it's a, you know, and it is a place that you can win the national title at if you have the right guy there. And the very early signs under Kellen DeBoer is that he is going to be someone who can unlock uh, Washington as a Pac-12 contender at the highest level. And that's that's fun to see. One of the things from the offseason with the disruption of the Pac-12 with the impending departure of USC and UCLA is just how strong is the league? How attractive are they? So there's a little irony in the fact that Washington looks really good. I think Oregon State is really good. Uh, speaking of bandwagons, yeah. I've been I've hopped aboard the Beavers bandwagon a little bit early, and I I don't know that I believe they can beat SC this week. But SC better be careful going going to Corvallis with a with a veteran team. They look solid. Um, you know, Cal acquitted itself well against Notre Dame. I know Notre Dame has some issues. There, there are several teams. Arizona's much improved. We know Utah's good. A lot of these teams that have been left behind by the USC-UCLA departure and certainly Oregon's rebound against BYU that I left out when I was listing teams there. But the teams left behind have performed well in the first yeah. few weeks of September and kind of have given a little jolt of energy to the Pac-12. Washington's leading the charge, and Oregon State might be right there beside them by this weekend. And 
And the way Oregon played against a very good BYU team on Saturday helped the cause too. Yeah, I think one thing to remember when we're thinking about Oregon State and USC, and I'm sure we'll talk about it more this week, Reese, is that they led in the Coliseum in the fourth quarter last year, 42 to 17. The game ended 45, 27, but they absolutely ragdolled USC. And I don't think USC's defense has really been tested yet. And this will be a significant test for that defense. Chance Nolan sashayed his way through the Coliseum one way down the field and back last week, that last season. And so Corvallis is going to be a difficult place to play. That is going to be the single biggest day on the campus of Oregon State this year. They're going to be riled up. Pac-12 network cameras will be fired up and ready to go. And it is uh, it what is going saying? to – I'm saying that <laughs> I will probably be stealing someone someone's password uh, late Saturday night to, to in order to tune in um, on, my, uh, on my laptop. So – uh, yeah, somewhere Larry Scott is uh, sleeping on a pile of money, <laughs> <laughs> snickering at the chaos that his reign has caused. Um, but I, I, I think like what a what a moment! And all right, USC, we knew your offense was going to be good from the pieces. We knew because Lincoln's play calling and Caleb, Jordan Addison, Rice, uh, Williams, everybody else who came in, Mario Williams, uh, obviously not Caleb, mm-hmm. everybody else who came in, you were going to do what you were doing. Now let's see if that offensive line can on a, on a fourth and two get a push against the, the veteran Beaver defense, uh, you know, crowd noise, like all those types of things. You are actually going to be tested to the fullest this weekend. That's not a knock on Fresno, but this is, this is, this is, you can say, okay, last year, this was a disaster. Let's see what it looks like this year, especially on the defensive side of the ball. There's still a lot of question marks. Uh, I don't think that Stanford game and all the interceptions really answered the questions about USC's defense. It may have masked them in some ways. So, but on the macro point, like the Pac-12 has to be feeling, you know, especially after Utah losing in the way it did in the uh, the hardest possible way, like they have to be feeling pretty good about just being vibrant and relevant right now. I agree with you on the USC defense. I called that game the Stanford. SC game and there are there are pieces on the USC defense that are good some really good players over there but Stanford Stanford moved the ball basically at will and imploded when they got in the red zone with sort of unconscionable turnovers they had you know they had two they had two fumbles they had you know pick on the opening drive, but then they had another one in the end zone. Mm-hmm. And, you know, they they put up, I'm, I'm going to pull it up right here. I think they had close to 500 yards of offense yeah. against them. Uh, While you're looking that okay, up, how four, was USC's D-line? Like, did you feel like their D-line dominated the line of scrimmage against a pedestrian Stanford O-line? No way. Okay. Not okay. not even close. I mean, Stanford, Stanford had 221 yards rushing average, nearly five yards a carry. They put up 441 yards. Now, to be fair, Stanford had hidden the fact that they had incorporated a great deal of their Wake Forest uh, stuff, the slow mesh RPO type game. That was not something they'd put on tape, and they'd kept it a closely guarded secret uh, for the most part. So I do want to acknowledge that, that USC sure. was seeing something on offense that they had not seen from the tape the week before. Unless they, you know, unless they had a spy and somebody had, had, leaked that news to them and they had prepped it a little bit. They certainly hadn't seen Stanford do it. And Jacksonville state's uh, spy, the one Rich Rod figured out. Yeah, Yeah, exactly. So there's that, but I thought, I thought Stanford's offensive line handled USC's D line just fine. So I, that gives you a little pause for this week and some of the other games, but you're going to have to, you're going to have to be really, really good on offense. And Hope you force SC's offense into making some mistakes, turnovers or something, in order to put some heat on them because they they look legit. And the one thing that Lincoln Riley said is that when he came into the program, a couple of areas of the team were in pretty good shape personnel-wise, and one of those was offensive line. So they got all these skill guys to go around, and the offensive line, was he already felt pretty good about it. And they, they also added a piece or two there as well. So – the offense is going to be able to mask a multitude of sins from their defense, but I agree with you. I think the defense has has some question marks yet. Guess the spread on that game, Reese. I've, I've peaked. I would love to. Oh, see you did. Okay. Yeah, I right. It's like it's like six and a hook, isn't it? Six Something and a hook. Like yeah. 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 I would have thought it was maybe eleven. 
Now, and that's not a knock on Oregon State. It, betting is perception more than reality, right? Mm-hmm. Like so, that's a, I think there will be big money on the Trojans because people have seen them march up and down the field on Saturday night. And I have a feeling uh, our our old friend Coach Corso may be saying, "Not so fast, my friends." <laughs> it, it's a it's an early leader. I, I I mean, who knows? My I don't even want to ask what my record on the picks uh, is right now. Well, but if you had a bad it, week, it, that means I had a good week. Uh, yeah, I, I don't really I even, I don't, be week. honest, I don't, my I don't new know. Strategy. <laughs> yeah, I don't yeah. know if I had a good week or a bad week, but I do know Taylor, this. how do we do? Can you early can you Early leader in the clubhouse for my Superdog Saturday morning, and I always go last and try to balance the country and make sure that we've looked in a lot of different places, but Oregon State's a leader in the clubhouse for me to take the mm-hmm. six and a hook at home. All right, Beef Nation, come aboard. Uh Taylor, do we have our records? Did you tabulate that yet? I did tabulate them. Reese went three and seven. Pete, you went four and six. Bill, five and five. I went six and five. And Sarah, seven and three. Sarah! Just cleaning up around here. Sarah's getting her tips from her grandma. I'm convinced. (laughs) She's not making the picks herself. (laughs) Sarah, Sarah, you're getting coaches fired. You're crushing (laughs) us in the picks. Sarah might be the most powerful person in college football. She's the puppet master. She's orchestrating everything. I mean, I don't know what to tell you. I'm just the most powerful woman in college football at the moment. And from Bristol, too. She's really, uh, you know, a lot of conspiracy theories about ESPN running the sport. It's really Sarah in the chair. (laughs) Pete, let's wrap up. Let's do a little uh, rapid fire here. I want to give you a few categories and just a reaction. I'll give you mine. Most impressive performance last weekend. You go first. My most impressive we've talked about is Washington. So I'll go to plan B and say Penn State. Auburn's got all kinds of quarterback problems, but Penn State went in and physical, tough, dominated that game. Clifford took a massive hit. I think it was Owen Papel early who like welcomed him to Jordan Hare and he popped up and they just kept dominating. So I will say Washington first, Penn State was like 1A. I think that was the most the most impressive thing I saw. I'm going to say Oklahoma. There's been a lot of uh, Nebraska talk, but Brent Venables in his third game as a head coach, they roll in, they give up an early score, right? You're on the road. And look, uh, the one thing that's undefeated about Nebraska is the fans and the environment. That has not wavered, even though the product has not dictated their devotion. And Dylan Gabriel, cool as a cucumber, two touchdowns, no interceptions, efficient game, Eric Gray rolling on the ground, 10 yards a clip. Uh, I just really think like that is a declaration of a lot of people thought because Oklahoma didn't have a ton of guys on the all big 12 uh, team going into the season. And there was just a lot of new personnel and a, a lot of guys, a couple guys took that West coast trip to, uh, to, to LA uh, to the, to the two, one, three for some NIL cash. Oklahoma looks like they're going to be just fine going into, going into big 12 play and in red river. Let's hope maybe the, the return of Quinn Ewers really, uh, really shapes that up to be a, uh, to be an epic, uh, epic game. So b- boomer sooner they roll. And that could be a potential game day site for sure. And if yours is back and Gabriel's spinning the bean, well, it's can Texas you imagine State what McAfee Fair, would eat at the corny State dogs? Fair? Oh, can you imagine what McAfee would eat? A corny dog, various uh, deep fried cul- Oreo, yeah, deep fried <laughs> Oreos, various culinary uh, delights that are dipped in batter and fried. Yeah, I'm I'm in I'm there for that too. Bandwagon that you won't jump off of, though you realize that there are some construction roads ahead this weekend, I'm going to say, I'm going to say Minnesota. I've been on Minnesota in the running game. I thought Kirk Shiraka coming back would help Tanner Morgan. Uh, I know they haven't been tested. I get that. But you know what good teams do? They annihilate bad teams when they play them and get the chance. That's what Minnesota has done. That's what Minnesota did on a Saturday against Colorado. They they ran wild on them. Ibrahim has looked great coming back from the Achilles injury. Good I for know, him, by the way. Yeah, it's I know good it. for him. And I think story. he's like up to a dozen uh, consecutive games in which he's played, having a hundred yards rushing. Michigan State's battered. They're embarrassed coming off Washington. They come back home. That's the perfect setup game for you to hop off a bandwagon and for a bandwagon to hit a pothole. And I'm going to lock in and stay on Minnesota's bandwagon this weekend. What bandwagon are you stubbornly staying aboard? 
I'm going to stay aboard the Arkansas bandwagon, although they begged me to get off <laughs> on Saturday by trailing the fighting Petrinos oh, 17-0 in the second quarter. Uh, I know this is rapid fire, but I was driving from Boone to Wake Forest, so I got to listen to some games on the radio, and then I went from Wake to Charlotte, where I stayed on Saturday night. And the tension in the – so you get to listen to local radio calls, which I love. I could I could spend that as in a local radio calls. It's a great way to just get a little flavor from each program. And the, the hog booth in the fourth quarter down 27-17 was a little bit of a nervous place, Reese. <laughs> they went down to the sideline reporter at one point, and it was almost like he was trying to give the team a pep talk. <laughs> can, I mean, can you even imagine the calamitous situation of Bob Petrino rolling in and and taking the electric glide road king expressway out of there with a victory that that could have one game should never make or break a program i'm going to tell you that if bob <laughs> petrino after all that happened had gone into fayetteville and beaten what is you know right around a top 10 arkansas team maybe they're in the top 10 this week i'm there yeah they're 10 and beaten a top 10 arkansas team handed them their first loss that's a program crushing. That's a soul crushing loss. And I can understand the angst that the local radio guys had over that. <laughs> Imagine how wounded that fan base would have been. Uh, yeah. That was why I tuned in, by the way. I'm a, I'm a, I'm a vulture, right? I was like, Oh boy, <laughs> they're down. They're down in the fourth. I am listening to this. I was really hoping the Missouri, I could get the Missouri state call. Cause sometimes on serious, you can get the local, uh, the local one. Cause that would have been, man, that would have been a pretty good three and a half quarters for the, uh, for the, for the, the play-by-play guy and the color guy from Missouri state. But uh, I, yeah, you could feel the tension in that booth. I think Clint Stoner, uh, the old quarterback is in that booth. Again, I'm, going in and out on the radio. So I didn't like lock in, but uh, it was, uh, it was, it was a fun listen and a great broadcast. There are some great radio broadcasts when you, when you listen, uh, well-produced great voices. Uh, I listened to Matt Park of Syracuse and that end of that Purdue game going over to Wake Forest. He did an awesome job uh, there. Yeah. It's a, it's a lot. It's a great way to just get a little bit of like, get a little portrait of all these little places all around the country, just by flipping through the dial. Uh, the, the patron saint of the Homer radio announcer is of course the great Larry Munson at Georgia. And I loved that Larry said we and they, you know, I mean, just flat out, you know, no pretense. I love that from them. He, he would say things like even just on a tackle in the backfield. And now we are going to knock him down in the backfield. <laughs> oh, we're going to knock him down in the backfield. Those dogs coming. You know, it's, it's a beautiful thing. The Saturday night here, the local, local radio guys too but that yeah that would have been that would have been a tough one okay last one it's early who are you most worried about that's a high highly ranked team who who's who's raised some warning signals to sort of like the worry meter we did on college game day saturday morning well i think i have to say clemson right like they're just their offense just hasn't gotten to a point where you feel comfortable with them playing the high-level teams that they have played under Dabo. So I just think there's been enough empirical evidence to say, you know, and Pollock said in the podcast a couple weeks ago, they they kind of slept walk through the first half of a lot tech. Uh, they have traditionally handled Wake Forest very easily, but here they are headed to Wake Forest, which, and they struggled, Wake, Wake struggled against Liberty. Liberty's pretty good, by the way. Liberty's mm-hmm. got some skill guys, but um you know, going into Wake Forest on Saturday, you know, Wake has a better offense. They have better quarterback and they have better scheme on offense. Uh, and now it did not look good. They actually ran very little slow mesh on Saturday because Liberty's DNs were so good. And certainly Clemson has a defensive line that can just smash that scheme into to pieces. But um, again, I have a lot of empathy for what the Clemson program has gone through with uh, Brian Bursey's sister Ella passing. And I certainly don't want any, my comment about them as a program to be, you know, uh, conflated with anything, anything tied to that. There were some great moments in that game, uh, especially, uh, especially with what Sonny Cumbie did, the Louisiana Tech head coach, wearing an Ellis Strong shirt out to the uh, out to the pregame warmups. Um, but I just think if you look at that top ten, like there's some, there's still some questions hovering over the Tigers, and we may see them up close. I think there's a great chance it will see them up close. The one thing that Clemson has that Wake Forest has not been able to handle, and I doubt they'll be able to handle this weekend too, is the defensive front. It's mm-hmm. the one thing that 
as difficult as that scheme is to play that can totally wreck it. If you can send your defensive lineman into the backfield and just swallow the slow mesh or, or the quarterback, if they don't run it, you have a hard time out scheming anything else. That's where, that's where Clemson will exert its authority. It, it might be a low scoring game if Clemson can't get its offense together, but I think Clemson's defense will probably control that game. Louisiana Tech and Sonny Cumbie, in addition to wearing the Ella Strong shirt, players writing a letter, a personal letter to uh, Brian Brzee on the passing of his sister Ella and delivering those um, in the box. That was such a, a poignant image to see that. And Dabble was moved by it, appreciative of it, and it showed great class. And I think I, I joke a lot of times, and while you are the more cynical of the two of us, admittedly, and that's sort of been a running joke with us, I am cynical about coaches and have even had conversations with coaches when they say things like our number one job is to develop young men. I always roll my eyes and say, no, it's not. Your number one job is to win games. And it is. It still is. But it doesn't mean that those two things are mutually exclusive, that you can't have an impact on someone's life while you are trying to win games and coaching. And in this particular instance, I can't think of a recent gesture that was more meaningful or more heartfelt or more of a proverbial life lesson of how to be and how to treat people than what Sonny did with his players in relation to uh, Brian's loss. And, you know, our certainly I, I can't even fathom the type of pain that the Brazil family is going through and our, our condolences and our prayers continue to be with them. And whenever Brian feels like it's right, we look forward to seeing him, you know, back on the field for Clemson. I, you know, my guess is it'll be this weekend. If it's not, it's okay. You know, I mean, he's, it's a, it's a difficult thing and everybody grieves in, in their own way and on their own timetable. So, but as it pertains to football, I love Dave Clawson. I think he is a brilliant head coach. And I think this is year in and year out the worst possible matchup that they could ever fathom. And I just don't think they have an answer for the physical superiority that the Clemson defensive line will have against them. And it'll, it'll ultimately lead to Clemson setting up a showdown next week uh, with North Carolina state. I'm, I'm beaten, I think. So who's your team reach that you don't, uh, that you're skeptical of in the top 10? It, it's Clemson. I mean, okay. there, there's not really, <laughs> but yeah, there's not really, there's not really another, another choice, but I would also say, uh, Pete, I would also say Arkansas is, is in that list too. They do a lot of great things, but they've had some injuries. They've lost Catalan, Jalen Catalan, who was an All-American mm-hmm. candidate at defensive back. People move the ball on them. So I'm a little skeptical of, of Arkansas too. Uh, Clemson would be first, probably because the expectations are higher mm-hmm. for Clemson in terms of making the playoff. But another team that that I'm a little little skeptical of right now and wanting to see a little bit more on the defensive side of the ball, especially is Arkansas. But I also want to give Arkansas a little bit of a break because of the rhythm of the season last week. You start with a really physical and good Cincinnati team. It really didn't have its best day on Saturday, but pulled it out and got the old victory bell from Miami, Ohio. Arkansas starts with Cincinnati and they follow up by opening conference play against South Carolina. Um, you know, Spencer Rattler coming in, knowing that there's some pressure there, wanting to do something. Got AM this week. So you have the sandwich game. You have Petrino, who, you know, pulled out every stop in the world, you know, to try to make that game competitive. And he did. Uh, all credit to him and his staff and his players. So I'll give him a little bit of a pass on just the rhythm of the season, uh, exhaling a little bit from the first two weeks, which were challenging. A little peek ahead to a big game. It's always a big game for them against AM. So I'm going to give them a little bit of a break, but I have had my antenna raised just a hair on, on Arkansas to among top 10 teams. So Oklahoma State's next game, 10 1, is at Baylor. They they blew out Pine Bluff and then have a week off before then. And that I, I'm I'm skeptical of them, if only because Eastern Michigan beat Arizona State more handily than they did at home. <laughs> it's reasonable, I think, for you know, for all of those teams right now. And you know, Oklahoma State particularly seems to, for whatever reason, uh, you can catch them early, and and sometimes sometimes things don't go as well for them early as it as it does later. But you know, I think that that's a really intriguing 
game as well coming up. A lot of good games on yeah. on the first that week too. Oh, wow. uh, Kansas has Duke this week. Uh, we'll dive into that a little bit more oh, as yeah. we get there. People upset with us for not going to Kansas. Uh, it's it's early to get to Larry Town in football. Leipold has to keep it up a little, little bit more. I need a little bit more than three and zero oh and and beating up on a Houston team that's having fights Ooh. on the sideline. So, Ooh. yeah. So, but they yeah. whooped if them. Kansas they, fans they wanted us good. to and show I, up. I was high. Yeah. I was high on Houston in the preseason. Yeah, no, but they, they haven't lived was, up to it. There were some yeah. reasons. Yeah. If yeah. Kansas fans are mad at us showing up, they should have shown up the last twenty years for Kansas football. So good. again, that's no no knock on Lance Light, but they've done uh, that is a Lazarus like resurrection there. Um, it, considering when he showed up in May of last year, but I just think like. You know, game day brings with it a certain pulse, and I don't know if that pulse has gone through since the fighting Manginos were uh, in town there. But they should build a statue to Mangino for uh-huh. what he did there, man. I mean, they they should they they should name the field after him or something. I, I know it. I know there were some other issues there at the end, but yeah, as far as the results on the field, yeah, remarkable for sure. So our picks are going to get better eventually. I promise. I feel like, I hope anyway, can't get worse. And Sarah, I don't think she has any more alma maters. So maybe no more coaches will be fired on her watch just because of, of the gloom and doom that she brings only to your coaching fee- future and every other aspect of life. She is a ray of sunshine on this podcast with a bunch of cantankerous, grumpy old guys, but she's the one that keeps getting coaches whacked. So Podcast is available wherever you get your podcasts three times a week. We'll have guests coming up later on. I'm not sure who we're getting. I think we're, we'll get somebody from game day, maybe even get a little coaching expertise in here. So we appreciate you listening. Continue to listen, get your podcast everywhere you need them. And we're still looking for submissions for Pete Thamel's little nuggets of goodness every Saturday morning on college game day. We haven't quite hit on anything yet. So keep those, keep those submissions coming. <laughs>